0: Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Sonikotsky and this year of 32co and I'm here with Professor Amma Johal and Raj Ratan. Uh, and we're going to discuss um, some guidance that, that we think is important for any dentist who is looking at um, patients coming to them after the collapse of SMALERECLA. We're here to try and provide some advice and support to keep both patients and dentists safe um, at this time. I'll start by letting Amma and Raj introduce themselves. so
1: with. hi everyone um yeah i'm a professor of orthodontics so hopefully i can give you some insight and tips into how you might manage this um
2: challenging group of patients that are
1: going to likely to confront you
0: and Rod,
2: thank you thank you sonia thank you well first of all can i just quickly say um emma you know you, you and i have had discussions in the past about various Clinical perspectives on different things. So, but this is the first time we've actually worked together. So, it's it's it's, it's a great pleasure and privilege to be with you on this call. So, thank you for that. Um, uh, so, I'm Raj Ratson, uh, Dental Director, of Dental Protection, and uh, also a GDP. That's very important to me. Still do some occasional clinical sessions in practice, and um, and yeah, as Emma said, we're here today to talk about the ramifications of the scenario, which Sonia will now outline for you.
0: Great. So, yes. For those um, not necessarily close to the story, I'll just describe what, what's happened with, with Smart Direct Club. So Smile Direct Club, as you might know, was the original at-home clear aligner company. It has ceased operations. It stopped um, operating, which means that uh, everything has, has, has stopped overnight. So they've been in business for about 10 years. They grew from nothing to a company that was valued at $9 billion. Um, and, they, and they really did disrupt the orthodontic industry. And they did that by essentially removing the in-person clinician from the equation, and that allowed them to offer orthodontic treatment um, at very low cost. They claim to have treated in excess of uh, two million patients through this route, and um, their rapid growth, you know impressive in, in many ways, it, it's, really come at, uh, it's really come at a cost. So the, the collapse has left potentially hundreds of thousands of patients um, undergoing treatment really quite high and dry and the company issued a statement letting patients know that um starting immediately no further support would be available no more aligners would be shipped and that if they wanted to continue treatment they should contact their regular dentist um and get some get advice so i think that the realization here is that whether you like it or not if you're practicing clinically healthcare is is big business and um it's it's difficult to see because it rarely happens uh, a major healthcare system collapsing overnight and leaving so many patients um, completely in the lurch. Unfortunately, I think with, with kind of more direct consumer um, and remote healthcare options and services, uh, this is going to become more common. This is not the last time that this will happen. So the sad thing is that the fallback in these situations is, is always our primary care clinicians. So we need to be there to support them. And with the fallout, Also, resulting in almost every news outlet advising these patients to go and go straight to their regular dentist for help. We want to make sure that uh, someone is there to protect the dentist and also make sure that they have the guidance and support that they need. So, we're going to go through a couple of questions that um, we think every clinician should know the answer to, um, because it's likely that certainly in the next couple of weeks or months, you will come across one of these patients uh, who is asking you for guidance. So I think the first question to you, Anna, is what should should a patient actually do? What is is the risk to them at this point?
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting question and a very challenging one for patients, again. I mean, I sense from a patient's perspective, they're going to feel slightly aggrieved. They've made a payment, a considerable payment to them uh, for a treatment which now won't be completed. Um, So I guess, I suppose, the difficulty for a patient is going forward, they obviously may wish to pursue their goals of treatment, they may wish to carry on, but invariably they're going to have to involve the dental services. Where the dental profession's in a slightly difficult situation is that these patients have, have probably not undergone any form of formal orthodontic assessment or evaluation, let alone dental evaluation. And I don't think we can underemphasize the importance of the dental assessment. So I think these patients may well feel that they can come. And certainly as Sonia, you said, they're being pushed certainly in the media towards going to the dentist. As a dentist meeting these patients or being confronted with the scenario, you've certainly got to, um, you know, you've got, we, we may have a duty of care and our aspiration is always to try and do well by the patient, but invariably there is cost implications. And I don't think you should be afraid to have a fee there to see them because your time is most certainly going to be required. Um, So yes, patients can be guided towards a dentist unvariably, but I think as a dentist, we've got to look back and think, well, actually, let's start with the basics. Um, Irrespective of where these patients have come from or what treatment they've undergone, what we need to fundamentally assure ourselves, much like we do in every other day and every other walk of life with orthodontic treatment, is ensure that the dental health is stable, more importantly, their periodontal health. Um, My fear here is that unfortunately, this unplanned treatment often goes without a formal assessment, and it may make the patient at risk. Um, And we can talk about those risks um, if you you want me to just elaborate. Um, Yeah,
0: let's be specific about the sorts of risks they're looking at.
1: Okay, so I think firstly, we need to exclude dental disease because a proportion of these patients probably have never visited a dentist. The second thing is to ascertain from them whether they do have a, a regular dentist, and if they do have a regular dentist, that should be probably their principal point of call. Uh, or contact. Um, the risks then come from twofold, really. One is the actual treatment itself. Often this treatment is done in the absence of any attachments and perhaps in the absence of any IPR, which often means that, yes, they're seeing a result, i.e., they're seeing the teeth straighten. But the consequence of that straightening could be that invariably it's causing a gingival recession because the teeth are being pushed out of bone. It's a treatment that, obviously, as a dentist, as an orthodontist, we wouldn't wish to execute on any patient. The other thing that goes relatively unchecked in these patients is that w- the assumption is that all of the teeth were covered when they did their the self-impressions. And the likelihood is that they probably haven't covered the terminal molar, which then is free to erupt. And then it leads the patients to gain an anterior open bite, which sadly, uh, despite the advice they've been given in the past, this will not self-correct. So I think we can talk a bit more. I can obviously, yeah, I can take on some more questions in a minute, but
0: I think those are quite specific things that people can check for and, and just be aware obviously that because it's at home, they've not had the benefit of any of the adjuncts that you would have with a line of treatment like IPR. Mm. So they're really reliant on one method of space creation, which is pushing the teeth out. And yeah, um, it, it might be worth thinking about what impact has on relapse as well. Um, maybe you can talk to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, so the, the, the other aspect of care that comes to mind, and I've had the same scenario approach is that patients say well one should i carry on with my retain aligners the answer most certainly is no because we need to ensure that we know where we are with these patients the other question that dentists are being confronted is "Well, well should we have retainers made you know why don't we try and keep what we've got which makes an awful lot of sense in many respects however again it comes back to basics the problem is who takes on the responsibility of the retention So you're retaining something that you don't know where it started. So first point of call would be to say to the patient, well, do you have any records that give us any indication of where you may have started this treatment? So at least we can work out what's been achieved to date. On the premise that they don't have anything, which is probably the safest place to start, the reality is if the patient feels they've achieved so much and the dental health is stable and the periodontal health is stable, then yes, the provisional retainers could be a fair, Uh, choice and option clearly there'll be a cost implication to those retainers and clearly there'll be an aspect of care which comes with the warning that retainers are for that very purpose to retain this result now given that often they haven't had any of the infrastructure the IPR the attachments it is likely that these teeth are very very prone to relapse which is what we're observing because often they are just pushed forward and then they slide back as well and in fact to quote the um, CEO smile direct club one year ago he said actually very little damage would be done if the patients were just to stop wearing their retainers the teeth would go back to normal unfortunately that is not the case at all as we've said that there are other risks so I don't think a dentist should move forward with any proactive treatment and proactive is retention as well unless they're absolutely secure in the belief that the rest of the dentition is is healthy because they're taking on a reliability and a responsibility which you know they didn't sign up to in the first instance
0: Absolutely. Raj, do you have any insights into, you know, what is the most sensible course of action then if a the patient comes to see you, you know, bearing in mind all the risks that Amma has outlined, what should they actually do?
2: Well, firstly, Amma's summary is, you know, very eloquent and absolutely correct. I think he's covered all the clinical areas. Um, to add to that, there's a couple of things I'd also mention. So, you know, on the basis of what I was saying, we're talking about adopting a holistic approach to the patient's overall health, and part of that holistic approach is the orthodontic assessment. So that's kind of how it um, how it shapes up. The other thing I'll just mention, actually, is uh, you know maybe this happens even before the consultation and the initial uh, assessment. The patients that are attending have in in one way or another been very disadvantaged. So they will come to the surgery of their GDP or anybody else for that matter, and they will be their mental kind of approach to what's happened will be on a sort of continuum. It'll we'll be on a scale where 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 at one end it'll be disappointment and at the other end it'll be anger. And I think psychologically we have to also remember that you know the patients that are angry um, are likely to project that anger onto the clinician that they're now seeing so i think the first thing to do before you actually look inside the mouth is to try and even up the relationship between clinician and patient and say okay i understand that you've gone through this now i appreciate your out of pocket you're seeing a dentist you haven't seen before um and you are keen to discover what options are available to you so i think getting the patient into a state of psychological well-being and comfort zone is is very important and then take it take it from there then go to the clinical assessment and i think after you've done that assessment um in the comes the challenge of diagnosis you know often we comment that when we look at clinical records in relation to medical legal cases often the diagnosis is omitted from the records so I think this is, in this particular scenario given the particular conditions and circumstances here absolutely important to record a an accurate clinical diagnosis and and if you feel that you don't have the competence or the experience to make that diagnosis and you know, I'd be very interested to hear Emma's views on this you know this is not something where you should you should speculate on what the diagnosis is it needs to be fairly firm it needs to be fa- fairly precise and that should be the starting point and then from that point onwards treat that patient as though you were treating any other new patient it, it, am i being overly cautious am i always a reasonable view
1: no raj I, I think i think that the most uh, salient point as well that you're making and i think it's one that sometimes gets, gets overlooked is the humanistic side of this yeah I'm absolutely right that you know dentists need to ensure that they, they are telling those patients you know we're trying to do the best service we can for you um the patient is clearly at that disadvantage state but i think that's a very good point to make because you know all too often the patient understandably in inverted commas can uh, can direct that anger towards the the, the the dentist and the dentist says well i'm trying to help you here mm. i think and then from then on again as you said really it's clarity of what goes on um now i think as a, as a dental profession, we're more than adequately skilled to do the dental assessment, i.e. the periodontal health, the, the, the dental health overall, and then say to the patient, look, that the good news is here, you are dentally fit, and I don't fear that or undertaking treatment or moving forward with your treatment is going to be harmful to your teeth or gums. And then the orthodontic assessment, I think that's the challenge that may prove to be somewhat more challenging for patients, uh, for dentists, I beg your pardon. But, you know, if they want to, they have the option of, of, of using um, a 32 code, for example, platform where they know they're going to work with a specialist. So it's a case of them um, literally, as I, I often say to patients, look, what we're doing is really putting a puzzle together here. Um, and the best we can do is take take a, a standpoint now of where you are. I need to take very accurate records. Yes, there will be a fee for my time and service, but I will get a very valued opinion back for you. And if the options exist that we can hold the result and feel comfortable with that, then so be it. We can save you money. But if in reality, what you wish to do is take the treatment further to completion, then clearly I would need, I as the dentist may need some assistance here because I think you're right. These cases are much, much more challenging, not necessarily because of the, orthodontic part of it but more the patient management aspect um and it's it's vitally important because if a complaint is going to come unfortunately the patient's going to be unable to complain against the company who's left now is the dentist so i I think again your point made very well about the fact that accurate records and and documentation um and again we can assist with that which which i think is an invaluable input hopefully
2: and and i think also you know it's it's about um yes we're trying to sort out the clinical challenges so the the focus of our care will be a clinical focus as it always is but i think there's another issue here as well it's also about restoration of trust because you know as far as the patient is concerned this this their situation now is a dental scenario and therefore the whole profession is impacted by that. And the patients may or may not have an understanding of the subtleties between how they were treated and how others are treated in, in orthodontic terms. So to spend time in that conversation to say, look, we're going to get an opinion from um, a, a specialist, it, it, it's worth having this opinion, it's worth the cost. Mm-hmm. That also goes towards restoration of trust because what you're doing is you're adding to the credibility mm-hmm. of the examination and the diagnosis. And I think. Restoration of trust, uh, reinstatement of credibility is is, is key here as well, and particularly from a risk management point of view, because once the patient trusts the provider, uh, you're already halfway there to the solution.
0: Can I just ask in addition, um, it's likely these patients will be embarrassed. Mm you know, they've undertaken a treatment that deliberately omits an in-person visit to a dentist, probably because they were told, well, look, if you do it online it's basically the same, except that you don't have to have all those um, pesky in-person visits. They're now feeling a bit silly going straight back to those very people who they said, well, I, I don't need to see the dentist, I can do this by myself. What's the impact of that sort of embarrassment and how should, how should clinicians deal with that?
2: That's um, do you want to or do you, want to no, you go first yeah okay um, i was just going to say i think you have to deal with it in a very open way and i think the clinician should make statements to the patient that are reassuring and that are also um comforting if you like you know and 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 rather than waiting for the patient to make the statement to say look you know i understand you know it's it's a show of empathy basically really you know, I understand the process you've gone through up till now. I understand how you might feel. And I appreciate what's challenges. So my job as your dentist now is not only to look at the clinical issues, but let me also try and reassure you that we will be here uh, to, to care for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, care and treatment are two different things. So, you know, we will treat you as our patient and treat you with an orthodontic focus. But we will also care for you. And I think the word care is a comforting word for patients. It demonstrates empathy. And again, if I can go back to a phrase I used earlier, it just takes you along that risk management um, path a little bit more uh, predictably.
1: Yeah, and and I would add just a tiny bit to that. And I think fundamentally, again, just honesty, actually, I don't think we should overpromise um and i think that's what they'll see us for because we are we inherently caring so i think that should come across as you as you write right and i think empathy is a very good term to relate to um i mean the reality is these patients are going to be so so different in their journey it's hard to predict i mean we know patients who have literally just paid the fee for the treatment and had no treatment and and others may be near in the end of treatment but you know, I think the dentist has uh, has options here in terms of saying to the patient, well, look, the most important thing I've got to make sure for you is that we, we haven't in any way or form compromised the health of your teeth and your gums. Um, because actually, I think orthodontics is a secondary concern. Actually, you know, we, we all agree. If if you don't get that right, that foundation right, and explain this is something the patients are completely oblivious to. I mean, they have no concept of the fact that their teeth and gums need to be in a good state. I mean, they just, I think, you know, for some of them, it was an option that prevailed because it's cheaper. Um, but uh, as we said, at, at what risk?
0: So if we if we just play out the different scenarios then so to give some sort of quite practical guidance, imagine that we have someone who is sort of in the middle of treatment somewhere and they say, look, I'd like to get to the end of this. What should you do if they say, well, like, why don't I just wear, why don't you look after me and I just carry on wearing these aligners that I've been given? How, how would you respond to that? Would you say, all right, I'll supervise you? Or would you say, actually, no, I'm going to take you, I'm going to have to stop and start from scratch?
1: yeah uh, uh, sadly i think it's the latter the the thing i would want to protect the dentist above all else is that the minute we take on responsibility for care we're responsible for all care we we can't then turn around at the end and say well actually you know you were in a poor state when i took you on therefore i was never going to get that finished that that patient is irrelevant and they've already been harmed inverted commas financially let's say so i would say to the patient look i'm sorry but To get this right, and I'm all about getting this right for you, and the best outcome, one that's going to last, is that we need to stop what you're doing now. At very best, we can hold what you've got. But ultimately, I need to reassess, reevaluate and plan with you. What I am prepared to consider is that, you know, we we might look at options that minimize how much treatment we do for you, um, assuming that they're dentally fit and and haven't had root resorption, for example, which we haven't even talked about. That we could take that treatment forward in in a a favorable
2: light. And I think, you know, you know, just again, just just a quick comment on that. I think the other thing also is, is to say to the patient, look, you know, what you have done up till now may well be perfectly adequate, perfectly reasonable, and we may continue with your treatment along the same path. But before we can make that decision, what we need to do is we need to verify where we are. Yeah, you know we can't just automatically make an assumption that where you are is the right place. So uh, let me reassess you um, your, your needs. Let me look at your oral health in general because I want to verify where we are. And then if that assessment gives a result that's different to what you um, to what the patient has been having, then say to the patient, actually, my view on this is slightly different. And then it's for the patient to decide whether or not they want to do that to the dentist or the patient may say, actually, no, I'm not happy with that. I want to carry on as I am. And we have to say, well, you know, we, we can't do that because we would be not filling, uh, fulfilling our duty of care. And, and it would it would be tantamount to clinical negligence to, to continue when you knew that it wasn't the right thing to do.
0: If they say, if a patient says, well, actually, um, I've only got a couple of aligners left. It looks like you've signed me off doc thanks i'm just going to carry on and then i'll come and see you at the end how how should you manage that how should you document that because it's sort of going against advice but so not really
2: i mean in general the principle there is the same as it is with any treatment so again clinical record is so important compliance is is a is an important aspect of clinical record keeping you know so often it's submitted you know you give the patient some advice and the patient doesn't take the advice and then they have a problem. Uh, and there's nothing on the record about whether or not uh, the patient complied with the advice. So this is where the record card comes in. You write very clearly, I've advised the patient as follows. And you know r- the advice can be listed in the point one, two, three, four, and five. You ask the patient, just perhaps say to the patient, well, why didn't you go away and think about this? And and And, and I'll see you again in a week or whenever and then we'll have another discussion. And the patient comes back and says, "Actually, I'm not prepared to do one, two, three, four, and five. I'll. I just want to carry on as I am." And then you make a note to say the patient has not is not complying with the advice given, and therefore I think the word is it would be inappropriate for me to continue with your care. I think the word is word is inappropriate for, for record keeping, and make it very clear to the patient that um, you know you've you've discharged your duty in uh, telling them what you believe, and they're, they're free to make their own decision after that. I think that's the way to deal with it.
0: Sounds sounds very sensible. So what about a scenario where, coming back to your initial point, Anna, you are actually a little bit worried about the bone levels or the level of root resorption, or you think some recession might have taken place, but you're not really sure because you couldn't see the before, um, you know what should you do in that case i mean obviously you're going to advise them to, to not continue but what should you do then
1: yeah i think i think that's a critically important one, and sadly that's probably a very likely outcome actually for a lot of these patients i think uh, as raj reiterated we we do the, the basic things again we, we establish where we are in terms of the dental health make an accurate record of where they are in terms of bone levels You know, we unfortunately for some of these patients it's going to involve you know radiographic examination to take things forward because otherwise you have no idea um and if there is recession there then clearly we document it again um and then i would literally say to the patient look as as far as i can tell because obviously i haven't got you before records this is where we are now so whether you sustained gum recession whether you sustained bone loss as a part of ulcerative treatment i don't know but this is where we're starting this is a starting point now and from that point forward, the thing again, just to reiterate to the patient, is that look, I'm you can, as a dentist, I would say to a patient, I'm happy to assess you from this point forward, on the basis that I'll get some professional uh, and specialist input as well as to whether we think it's safe to progress the so-called final objectives. If indeed it is, then we're happy to re, you know, retalk talk about an align a set fee, which clearly won't be the set you're using at the moment. We'll, we'll take you forward. If, on the other hand, we deem it that you know it's just not going to be worthwhile we're going to compromise the longevity of your teeth by moving them then we should hold fire definitely and back to Raj's point that you know the advice we would give them in their best interest is not to pursue further orthodontic movement.
0: And so if you're talking also there about perhaps to refer to a periodontist, if you are worried about um, you know about guns and and, and recession uh, and not being shy about suggesting using the whole kind of suite of, um, of clinical specialists to help this patient. I,
1: I think I mean I'm sure Roger' will have a point on this as well. I think this is really really relevant uh, as, a, as a dental spe- as a dentist you know you, you you can't be knowledgeable in all disciplines and if you feel remotely, um, challenged in any of these, then you, you, you know, I think we refer to as a low threshold for referral. Um, and you should have that. You, you shouldn't feel at all embarrassed to say to a patient, well, look, I'm really sorry. I, I can't make the judgment call as to whether it's safe or not to progress with treatment. But I would recommend you see a specialist given where we started and given that, you know, we don't have a, a baseline measure.
2: You know, as Emma says, you know, the, the situation, you see, we're already under some strain here, aren't we, with the patient because of what's happened. So I think as a general principle, that that phrase that you used, Emma, the low threshold of referral, that's a beautiful phrase. And the more strained the situation, the lower the threshold, I would say, because it's, 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 it's a protective mechanism, both for the clinician and for the patient.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I would say to, our dental, to, to all my dental colleagues is personally, I wouldn't see this as, as an opportunist moment for any of us. In fact, it's it's the time where we switch on and come on in terms of our care, because, you know, what you don't want to do is put yourself in a vulnerable position. And unfortunately, this is a, a group that will target because they've already been aggrieved. So I, I, personally, I'm very cautious when these patients come in. I'll go, in fact, the nth degree to ensure That I've documented everything really well and that I'm really super clear with them and they they are clear as to where we're going with this um because as as Raj said that you know they're not going to be shy of making complaints
0: so so really not necessarily advertising um to patients all around that if you've been affected you know please come and see me despite the fact that obviously your 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 intention is to support and help them it's it's not an easy situation um to manage and it it may not it may not lead to kind of the best outcomes for either you or for the patient if we're sort of really encouraging um you know like you say making an opportunist moment i think we've seen plenty of um you know similar types of companies off the back of the collapse advertising to patients oh well if you've been Affected by this company, well, we can look after you. And I think patients are quite vulnerable in this moment. So, you know, very much back to your point, Raj, about prioritising care um, and uh, and being honest with them, and and sort of stopping the the, the cycle really of, of them being promised things that then unfortunately um, we can't deliver.
2: And and you know, the advertising question is an interesting one because I think the other thing also to bear in mind is. Um, actually, you know, with all advertising, all marketing, and what it does is it sets an expectation. So um, you have to always remember that you know, patient satisfaction only results from exceeding the expectation. You know, at the very least, uh, meeting it. So you know, when you get you know what's called disconfirmation between what the patient is expecting and what's being delivered, you know, that's the precursor to the complaint. So um, yes, you know advertising and marketing generally speaking you know people use it they use it well they use it um, judiciously uh, professionally nothing wrong with it provided you're absolutely sure that you can meet and hopefully exceed the expectations that are being set and sometimes that means toning down the marketing and and that's an individual decision and one that i would encourage everybody to th- um, to, to to think about before they finally decide on their marketing strategy in in relation to this particular scenario.
1: Yeah. Really, really... yeah, I mean, as I said, we can we can help, but I think that the first protocol is is the dentist almost um, managing, as Raj said, the patient's expectations, um, because they're going to be heightened. You know, if they're going to pay again, they want they'll want even more from this than they ever anticipated, and because we're dental professionals, they're going to expect rightly you could argue a better outcome because they were doing it themselves anyway but now they've come to us us being the profession um so yeah advertise if you're an incredibly empathetic individual and you've got you know that that level of patience and understanding to express to patients i mean there is uh, clearly there's an opportunity here but uh, it's not quite what you might envisage it's not your your routine cared for patient
0: I think so many bits of advice in here. I think the one thing we, we might want to leave dentist um, with is if, if you just are stuck and you don't know where to go, maybe both of you could explain where could they go for, for help? Who, who do they phone?
2: I think if there's anything that's medical legal related or they've had a difficult conversation with a patient or they feel under pressure because of what the patient has said and they're not sure the medical legal consequences, then speak to your indemnity provider. I think that's the first thing to do. Uh, But also speak to colleagues in your practice who may have more experience, Um, maybe seek another opinion from somebody in the practice and, um, or or go outside the practice and go to specialist providers as well. So um, initially medical legal questions, yes, indemnity provider, clinical questions, uh, access to a specialist.
0: Yeah, again,
1: I very much echo those sentiments. I mean, especially if you're a young dentist, definitely take, seek some advice in the practice. Um, I think if, if, if the goal is to prime further the patient's treatment, then almost certainly w- w- one thing I would be very, very cautious about doing is undertaking this treatment in the absence of any specialist input. Because if you get specialist input and you can use you know, a duo, a, the duo platform, if you want, where you do have a specialist giving you input, but if, in the absence of specialist advice, and you, you choose to treat this patient with a, an aligner company that's out there, you're taking on a significant risk, I would say, because one, we know that often the planning that's done for these cases is not necessarily supervised by a specialist either. Now you've got a patient that's already been managed without that, and you're taking them to another level and charging them accordingly. So the very, very least they should do if they are going to do treatment is do it in conjunction with the specialist, because at least you'll have comeback, at least you'll have call-outs and you'll have consent issues that will be covered for you because assessing these cases, especially, we we can certainly identify the areas that are readily to achieve and, and at lower cost to the patient or the areas that we may say, well, actually, look, fundamentally, this is going to compromise the outcome. Maybe we should just call it a day here, given yeah. the health and the periodontal health that's the area I would be most cautious about so I, I, I again reiterate that I think it, there's an opportunity here for these dentists to treat these patients but done so in the with the right level of support definitely not go it alone
2: I think the other common just quickly make Sonia is, is you know patients all patients have um, and there is a zone of tolerance where the patient will tolerate um, an experience which is not ideal, but it's within their zone of tolerance. You know, so for example, you know, waiting twenty minutes before they're seen, and then so forth. What's happened here because of the patient's previous experience, that zone of tolerance now is very narrow. You know, we you, you haven't got the elbow room that you might have had had you treated the patient from the very beginning. And um, so I think you know when that zone of tolerance narrows, risk rises and you know when risk rises then you implement strategies um that that we've discussed today that that uh, amma has just summarized very nicely thank you
0: thank you both for an incredibly helpful set of notes um what we will do is also summarize this in text form so that people can read the step-by-step guidance Mm -hmm. as well um but thank you both incredibly valuable i hope that that find this useful if they're confronted with um, with an upset or angry patient who's looking to them for help. I think the message is protect yourself, look after the patient, care for them, but don't feel under pressure. And mm. and go step by step through the proper through the proper stages um, as you would any new patient. Thank, Thank
1: you very much. Thank you.